Life Audio. On this episode of Encouragement for You, apologist Josh McDowell talks about how to know God exists, and psychologist Dr. Gary Oliver discusses overcoming holiday stress. Welcome to the Encouragement for You podcast, brought to you by Encouragement Communications in association with the Salem Web Network and is part of the Life Audio Faith Toolkit series. For more inspirational, faith-affirming podcasts, visit lifeaudio.com. In just a moment, your host, Don Hawkins, will introduce today's episode. First, a word from our sponsors. Well, good day to you. It's Joel with The King Country dropping in to let you know that our brand new film, Unsung Hero, is in theaters now. It's Luke here. We've teamed up with the creators of Jesus Revolution to bring you this adventure of a lifetime. It's a powerful, true story about a family uniting, growing in their faith, and facing the impossible together. In theaters now, unsunghero.movie for more information. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. Two of life's great questions, how to know God exists, and can this truth be communicated effectively with the world? Apologist Josh McDowell joins Don Hawkins to talk about how we can share the gospel with clarity through relational evangelism. No topic more important than the topic written about by my guest, longtime friend, author, apologist, youth speaker, Josh McDowell. Uh, Josh, what was your motivation uh, to write this newest book, How to Know God Exists? Well, one of the things I like to do in life is follow culture. Yeah. See what are the key issues in culture and where is culture going? And in the last several years, the number one apologetical question in almost every country of the world is this one. Is God good? Hmm. Is God good? And so I figured... I want to address that issue. I want to address it in a book, and I want to address it when I speak and being interviewed. Is God good? That's the question of the, uh, probably for about the last five years, and it'll be the yeah. same for the next three, four years. And Josh, so many bad things have happened to people. The COVID is a good example of that. So many people have lost loved ones. Uh, the economy obviously has harmed a lot of people. People lost their jobs, especially during covid those things tend to cause people to question the goodness of God, wouldn't you say? I would definitely say so. And they all hit at one time. That's that's the, the thing. So many different factors came upon people at the same time. Yeah. And as a result, if you're not really grounded, in other words, you have beliefs but not convictions, Yeah. then you're really going to be in trouble theologically. There's a verse in the Bible that talks about if you have faith to believe that he is, I believe that's Hebrews eleven six, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, uh, that the person who wants to come to God 
has to start with how to know God exists, to believe that very fact. Talk about some of the challenges that we're facing in this particular time uh, when we're defending the Christian faith to people that maybe don't know God and don't believe that he exists. Well, there's two big things in culture. One is the whole thought that there's no objective truth. Everything is subjective. Hmm. And everything is um, subject to personal opinion or personal thoughts. And that's huge in culture today. Second, facts. Appealing to facts isn't as strong today as it was, say, 15 years ago. 15 years ago, they wanted to know, is it true? Today, they're probably saying, well, what right do you have? To present this. My truth and your truth. Uh, help us understand where that came from and why that has become such a rage today. That came from a shift in truth probably about 25, 30 years ago, where we had the Renaissance, we had the Enlightenment, and then we had the Industrial Revolution. All three of these had a profound effect upon truth and how we believe. And it, uh, finally, out of those three movements, it came Belief is based on personal opinion. There is nothing objective outside of you. So it's all personal and internal. Mm-hmm. And that's why usually no two people would have the same concept of truth, because it's all internal subjective, not objective, external uh, from where you are. But you know, Don, that's what makes sharing your faith with somebody so exciting today, because they're not used to hearing truth factually. And Josh, you talked about sharing truth in the context of relationships, and boy, that resonates with me, that it's not just a matter of knowing all the answers or winning an argument. I think about First Peter 3.15 and the fact that we're to be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks a reason of the hope that lies within us, but we're to do it with meekness and, and graciousness in terms of our approach in the, in the fear of the Lord. So it's both truth and relationship, right? Yes. Well, it's, let me rephrase that. As I said before, it's truth in the context of relationships. Yeah. Uh, It's not truth for the sake of truth, but what the relationship does with that person and just asking them how they are and listening to them begins a relationship. But what the relationship does is build a foundation for truth to be accepted Hmm. and to be believed. Uh, Josh, uh, you started your ministry quite a few years ago. Uh, what were, <laughs> quite a few. Yeah. What were the biggest obstacles to faith back then, and, and how have those changed, and how have you learned in, in the process of adapting to those changes over the years? Well, back when I got started, which was 50 years ago, hmm. the basic question was, is it true? Is it true? And you could go into an audience, make that statement, is it true? and present the facts. Today, it's more like there is no objective truth. It's all subjective. Yeah. And so today, I have found two things. One, I need to listen to the other person first hmm. and creatively listen. What I mean by that is you don't interrupt them yeah. to say they're wrong. You say, now, when did that happen? You, you ask clarifying questions. Now, who are we with uh Okay, what year did that happen? Where were you when that happened? Who was that person? And listen to them. And then I have found, in most times, they will listen 
to you. Hmm. But here's the phrase I found. Whether I'm sitting next to somebody in the airplane or not, I'll use the phrase, what has been your spiritual journey? Hmm. You know, I've never found anyone that said that was offensive. Yeah. They respond to that because everyone wants to talk. They want to talk about their life. Now, 50%, close to 50%, will turn around and say, well, Josh, what's been your spiritual journey? Hmm. And if they don't, I just simply say, well, Barbara, is it okay if I share my spiritual journey? So I'm like, oh, yes, please do. Huh. And then I can go right into my spiritual journey and tie it in with the gospel. And so asking the person, what is your spiritual journey? I have found to be extremely effective today. Now, Josh, in the, the book, you explain that in this postmodern era, truth is no longer viewed as objective. Uh, there are a lot of ways it seems like these this is playing out in our daily lives today. Touch on some of those ways, if you will. Well, the biggest way it's, it's playing out is how do you know your truth? And then here comes the phrase, the big phrase. Well, that's your truth. In other words, I think all truth is internal. So when yeah. somebody very sincerely shares an issue of truth to them, it's not true for them. It's true for the person sharing it. And so they'll say, well, that's your truth. And, uh, and that's a big obstacle today for a lot of people. But also, I have found that I'll ask them, what is truth to you? Hmm. What would show you something is true? And almost always, I can take what they say, would show them something is true, and take the resurrection of the scriptures of the deity of Christ, use their criteria, and show that it's true in almost every situation. You know, that reminds me, uh, years ago, uh, there was a man in England who, uh, as I recall, was either an agnostic or an atheist who set out to write a book to disprove Christianity. And the title of his book was Who Moved the Stone, which was the question that he encountered. Uh, I think that book might have actually had an impact on you, as I recall. It did. I, I knew I had to answer every one of the arguments in there yeah. before I wrote any book or anything. How do you know the resurrection is true? And I started with his arguments against it and everything. Mm -hmm. And uh, I actually spent more time reading those that disagreed with the Christian position than reading those who agreed with the Christian position. Because one, I learned more. Second, I was more relevant when I would address the subject of the deity of Christ, the resurrection, the scriptures, whatever. So it's important that we understand where others are coming from uh, if we're going to communicate objective truth. What is one way to explain why objective reasoning is inescapable? And that's a term, a phrase that you use. Well, for example, uh, you say, all truth is relative. Well, that's an absolute statement. Yeah. You can't make most statements without using absolute truth. And so that's what I always... Whatever a person says, and it's important to listen to them, ask questions about their beliefs, and believe me, 95% of the time, it opens up the door for you to share your beliefs. And when you listen to someone, you show them respect. Yeah. Now, i got to tell you, I'm not the best listener, Don. I'm not. But I've learned to become a good listener, mainly because of my wife. She's hmm. an incredible listener. And, and she'll tell me sometimes, honey, you're talking too much. You need to listen. Hmm. But, you know, if you don't listen, you're probably going to not just miss the target, 
of communicating the gospel, you would probably hit the person or kill the person that's holding the target. <laughs> uh, if you if you don't listen, yeah, and that's hard for me. And I know some yeah. of the people listening right now; it's hard. But folks, just take it from me: it's worth it. It is worth it. Sometimes we have a tendency to be thinking about, okay, this is the next thing I'm going to say to counter what you said. I'm going to prove uh, that what you said is wrong. And that's uh, the the opposite of what you're talking about as a strategy. That's right. That's at the point you should ask some informative questions. Yeah. Well, when did that happen? What did that person say? Can you repeat this part here? What did you mean by that? And what happens is, Every time you ask a question, you're going to find a more relevant way to relate the gospel to that person. And if you don't listen, it's pretty hard to be relevant with that person. You know, a lot of your previous books focused on what we might call evidential apologetics. In other words, evidence that demands a verdict, for example. Uh, But this book really focuses on what we might call rational apologetics, doesn't use the Bible as evidence for God as much. Why is it important that we use that approach today? You're right. The book, Does God Exist?, contains no scripture verses in it. It's probably the first Christian book ever written. It has no scripture verses in it. Hmm. And I wanted it that way. God gave us the ability to reason, to think, to draw conclusions. And when you come to know Christ, you're much more capable of being objective and use your reasoning. And for me, when I can appeal to reason to show that God exists, then I have one more arrow in my quiver to use with people. When people say to me, well, I don't want anything to do with the Bible or anything. I can just continue right on yeah. uh, with the person of God. But I've learned this. I need to ask questions. Yeah, Ask questions to them. Listen to their answers. And when don't interrupt them. And then when you do ask a question, I come back, make it an informative question. When did that happen? What did that person say? Now, who is that person? Where were you then that happened? And that says to that person, wow. McDowell's really listening. Hmm. Uh, We were talking about uh, the shift from evidential apologetics, Josh, to rational apologetics. But we also could, in some ways, uh, call it uh, relational apologetics, uh, because you've already told us how important uh, relationships are and listening is uh, to this whole issue of being able to bring a person to, uh, to really a commitment of faith. Roy, you nailed it. That's the phrase I've been using for, oh, 10, 15 years. I call it, as you just did, relational apologetics. Truth in the context of relationships. This is where I think a lot of people need to read, even like the book, How to Know God Exists. If you read that book, it will help you to see how relationships and truth interact. But if you share truth, you could be the most persuasive person in the world. But if they don't see how it relates to them, they yeah. will say, well, that was wonderful, and walk away. Yeah. And that's what we often do. We just want to make sure we get the whole gospel in, get all the truth in, confront them with the truth. Well, we need to confront them also with how that truth will affect their relationships. We'll be right back after this message. What impacts you every day? 
There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Why is it that what should be the most wonderful time of the year so often becomes the most stressful time of the year? Psychologist Dr. Gary Oliver joins host Don Hawkins to guide us through dealing with holiday stress. Why are the holidays so stressful? Gary, I'll weigh in on this subject. Well, there are, there are a number of reasons, Don. I think one is that we look forward to the holidays with great expectation, a, a, a chance to kind of kick back, maybe to relax. But we don't think about it. We have all the shopping. We have the expenditures of money, all the preparations. And so we have that factor. There's such a hype around the holidays, which can really kind of be another source of stress. Yeah. And then also holidays remind us of, of, you know, for some of us who may not have some of our family members, uh, maybe there are some families who are broken, maybe a divorce, maybe a death. Holidays are a reminder of a time when, when we were together with loved ones that we're no longer with. And so holidays for some can be actually a very, very painful time. Yeah. You know, we were talking about this the other day, and, and yet for so many people there are, and for you, multiple sources of grief. And, and no matter when that person died, uh, it really is around Thanksgiving, around Christmas, around that holiday season when that grief seems to be at its keenest, don't you think? Absolutely. And, uh, you know, even as we try to get busy, as we focus on positive things, as especially Thanksgiving, you know, giving thanks for things and Christmas and, and, and the coming, the first advent of our, of our Lord, still there's a reminder of that emptiness and, and the ones we love that, that we're missing. And that really over time, Don, Don can take, take a toll. Yeah, I want to let you know, my friend, that um, you are not alone if you are feeling already the stresses of the holiday season. I was listening to one of our local radio stations playing Christmas carols one right after another, seven, eight, nine in a row, and, and thinking, uh, boy, this, this comes early and earlier every year, it seems like. And, and yet we have so many things that we have to do. Uh, this is not only a time when we wind up dealing with grief, uh, but it's also a time, Gary, when we're extremely busy. 
Churches have cantatas, and that involves practice or dramas. There are all kinds of uh, uh, dinners and activities. And and, uh, I was talking with a relative about uh, uh, an event that his wife's company had where he said, we just uh, we had to drop in the other day. It was important that we be there. And uh, the reality is um, very busy schedule time, don't you think? Well, it is. And, and because of that, Don, oftentimes we don't take time to exercise. Hmm. We don't take care, you know, take care of our body, our temple. We don't take time. Maybe we even may cut back on the Word, uh, cut back in prayer. And um, that just, of course, sets us up uh, for a more negative impact of, of the stress, the unrealized expectations, the grief and the loss. But the holidays can be a time of great joy yeah. if we have realistic expectations and uh, if we really allow God to be our portion our strength, our covering during those times. Yeah. Uh, very important that we somehow rein those expectations in, that we rein yep. in that schedule, that we right. we learn to say no to some things. I, I can recall a few years ago, my wife and I sat down and went over our calendar uh, for the Thanksgiving to Christmas season. We discovered we had two evenings free during that entire period. Oh, God. And, and there were other people I know who were busier than we were. And uh, it's it just um, somehow we have to maintain our equilibrium. We have to get control. You mentioned something else, Gary. This is a season when we typically eat differently than other times, and we eat more than other times, and we tend to exercise less than other times. That's a recipe for disaster, it seems. Oh, Don, it really is. You know, like even something as simple as exercise, you know, that, that physiologically – uh, that affects us emotionally. When we exercise, that releases endorphins and Keflin's natural God-given mood elevators that, that kind of helps us be, be more resilient, that gives us more energy and strength. And, and boy, you know, we eat more food. We tend to eat more fattening food. And so really, it's, it, it really is a setup. You, you said it perfectly. And everybody bakes cookies and candy and cakes and sweets and puts all this together and, and, and brings them to the office. And everybody says, have some, just have one, have a couple. And uh, we go to these uh, dinner parties, these activities. We go to the church dinners and all of those kinds of things. And all of these foods are in front of us. And somehow we need the grace and the discipline to be able to limit ourselves <laughs> and then to get the exercise. And I'm preaching to the choir here. I'm preaching to you and me, but we're there, aren't we, Frank? No, 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 you're right. And, and uh, you know, part of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Yeah. And the Bible has a lot to say about celebration. So God yeah. is, but my man, God is all about celebrating. Yes. And, and, and in fact, in the celebrations in the Old Testament, man, they, they brought the best food. Yes. They brought the best fruit. But part of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. And, mm-hmm. and as we understand that, you know, even just for you and I, quite frankly, but, but yeah. our listeners, understanding that, that the holidays can be a minefield yeah. can help them not to be a minefield for them. That can be a place where we can encourage each other. We can hold each other accountable. Spouses can do that. Good friends can do that. Uh, People that work together can do that. And so we all need to to work closely with our good friends, our uh, support network, our accountability network uh, during this time. There are a couple of other things that I've, I've written down in my little grocery list of things for us to talk about here. One of them is idealized memories from past holidays. Oh. How how big is that, where we're looking back at Christmas through rose-colored glasses and thinking of all the good things, and yet we have been affected and impacted by the bad things, by the alcoholic uncle, by the family conflicts, those kinds of things? You no, know, Don, you listen to the Christmas carols, I'm Dreaming of a White Christmas, 
and you have those visions. That I, I've worked with a lot of folks who had visions of Christmases yeah. uh, that were better than they than they really had. Our need to idealize, and 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 for some reason, Thanksgiving, Christmas is a time for that when yeah. we sometimes think about things that were really not as good as we remember. You know, the rose-colored glasses. Yeah. And uh, what happens when we do that is that that robs us of an opportunity to allow God to help us establish some new memories that are good, that are healthy, that are positive, and that we can look back on five years from now with a, a, a really healthy nostalgia. Yeah. So in other words, there is something we can do about those idealized past memories. We, there is a way to deal with those. Absolutely. And I, you know, the, the fact is that even though I've lost really half of my biological, you know, immediate family, yeah. mm-hmm. and, and, and there's a huge hole in my heart. And, and I know there are a lot of our listeners, Don, who, who goodness, as you and I are talking, I mean, they've, they've, they've also suffered a variety of losses, financial losses, maybe marriage, a job, family, yeah. right. uh, through death, through cancer. Um, and yet God understands that. And so, you know, you and I, we're not just uh, sharing some, some principles that don't come out of real-life experience. No. You've right. walked it. I've walked it. We're yeah. walking it right now. Yeah. We're telling folks there is hope. We are saying... Oh, yeah, there, yeah, there's practical hope yeah. day in, day out. And, and the reality is there are ways to deal with these issues. A conflict in the family. Uh, perhaps last Christmas there was a major blow-up or last Thanksgiving, and, and uh, there are family members who are just feeling like withdrawing. They, they are just scared to death. Something is going uh, to happen. Uh, help us know how to deal with this and, and, and how to deal with the prospect of conflict and, and even what has happened in the past. Oh, that's a, that's a great question. You know, in, in, in uh, my late wife Carrie and I's last book, Mad About Us, yeah. Moving from Anger to Intimacy, we, we actually talk about a couple of scenarios there that, that conflict, most of us view it as unhealthy. But conflict can actually, in God's hands, be healthy. Every time there's conflict, there's a window into our, our spouses, our, our loved ones, our friends' heart. And if we choose to follow what Proverbs says in seeking understanding, you know, and, and, and as we take time to talk to that other person, to ask them what their perspective's like, to, to discover maybe did we wrong them in some way, do we need to apologize or, or ask for forgiveness? Actually, conflict, when we do it helpfully, can, can deepen trust, increase our sense of safety, mm-hmm. and build bridges that allow us to have a new future. Thank you for listening to this episode of Encouragement for You with Don Hawkins host of Encouragement Live Radio and author of over 25 books, including Never Give Up and Master Discipleship Today. You can find more about Don and his books at encouragementlive.org. Encouragement for You is a production of Encouragement Communications with the Salem Web Network and lifeaudio.com. Editing by Phil Giebers, production by Elizabeth Andrade. If you enjoyed what you heard today, we'd love for you to head over to your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. It really does help people find us. Let me take just a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on Encouragement for You. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you'll find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. Stay encouraged and join us next time for Encouragement for You. Finding uplifting news in today's headlines is often like searching for a needle in a haystack. 
At the Story Behind Podcast, we believe in the power of finding heartwarming tales and are happy to share empowering stories with you every week. Get inspired by the note a waitress received from a patron dining alone. And even hear about how one VIP passenger made a hardworking pilot get emotional before his flight. To start listening to the Story Behind Podcast, visit lifeaudio.com.